When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Who says the FedEx Cup playoffs aren't exciting? Hey, welcome into episode 75 of At The Turn. Nick, that's about how long John Rahm's putt was to win the BMW Championship. What an ending. How about a playoff between DJ and John Rahm coming down to two of the most iconic putts of the season i would go so far as to say yeah i think that's fine so (laughs) i guess we'll just work our way backwards dj needs to make a 44 footer down the hill and the announcers are saying oh this is no chance you know what what an effort by dj but he's going to come up a little bit short here and he basically needed to two putt and hope matsuyama missed his putt to remain number one in the world go ahead as it knocks in the 44 footer Because as it's going to the hole, the announcers are saying, ah, what an effort, what an effort, thinking he missed it. Then it tracks in, and Rom is just, like, sitting there on the range preparing for a playoff that he fully expects is not going to happen. Yeah, it's a token warm-up. He's, like, putting no thought or effort into this. Those are for the cameras. It's just a formality. Exactly. It it always cracks you when they say, well, you got to expect your opponent to make their putt. (laughs) Okay, guys, that putt was 44 feet long. Broke seven times. No way you expect him to make it. But he did. And you figure, okay, well... Sucks for Rom. Played great over the weekend. Shot 10 under on the weekend on a golf course that guys were struggling to break par. Got to come up short because he's obviously way too rattled from this situation. Not only that, Rom puts his tee shot in the playoff into the rough. DJ hits an awful tee shot way left. Ricochets off some trees. Comes right back in the fairway. So DJ's like, ah, well, okay, whatever. And I saw a quote on Twitter that DJ was walking towards Rom's ball in the rough. And the marshal was like, no, no, it's in the fairway. He's like, oh, 
sweet. <laughs> that, that was literally <laughs> the quote. Oh, sweet. And he walked over to it. So DJ hits a decent shot into the green of the playoff, 30 feet away. Rom does not hit a good shot. He's out of the rough. Not good position. He has 66 feet. And then it, it's Drano. Drano from John Rom. DJ, good, good putt to try to tie and force another playoff hole. Doesn't happen. Rom picks up his fifth PGA Tour win. Sensational finish, Nick. I mean, that that 10-minute playoff right there might be the closest we get to a Ryder Cup, you know, for a long time. I mean, that had Ryder Cup vibes, you know, a Spaniard versus an American, number one yeah. versus number two in the world. It was, it was, it was, it was cool. So, uh, yeah, let's get some Ryder Cup action. I'll say this much. That was the loudest roar I think we're going to get during the pandemic. It sounded like a full-on gallery because— Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Well, it's like, I think because the media, oh, you're not supposed to make noise. Everyone's like, screw it. This is awesome. How can we not be excited about what we're seeing? Um, I mean, Rom's putt is on again in the background here, and I assume he's going to miss it, even though I know he makes it. It just goes, I mean, it's just, it it truly was incredible. It's so cool to have these kind of random tournaments. And I know the FedEx Cup, whatever. It's it's fine. They're They're... Regular tour events, in my opinion. They have stronger fields. That's cool. But to just have that exciting of a finish was so fun. I was not expecting to talk about this tournament at all. Like, I was going to talk about it in context of a larger issue. But here we are discussing the BMW Championship. Well, okay. So DJ finishes second. He retains his world number one ranking. I'm sure that's important to him. He will start off at minus 10 next week at Eastlake. He's got the 10-stroke lead. Now, Joe. There have been two playoff events. One of them was won by somebody who was minus 30. One of them by somebody who was minus four. So a 10-stroke lead or starting off at minus 10 can be two entirely different things depending on if the winner is going to be minus 30 or the winner is going to be minus four. Well, that was actually what I was going to discuss. But I think the biggest factor in all of this is regardless of, you know, if it's going to be a tournament where everyone shoots the lights out or where they struggle to break par – uh, Dustin Johnson's the person starting off with a two-shot lead. He is in, even though he lost today, I, it's kind of irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. He just lost to someone who was absolutely on fire. I mean, Rom just could not be beat down the stretch. And even though DJ made that crazy putt, Rom <laughs> rallied to make a 66-footer to beat him in a playoff. He just lost to a better golfer today. Lost to the number two player in the world. I think Dustin Johnson is in the sort of run right now that we saw prior to, I believe it was the 2017 Masters, maybe the 2018, my my math is a little fuzzy, where he won three consecutive events leading up to the Masters and then fell down some stairs and wasn't able to compete where it was basically a foregone conclusion he was going to win the Masters. Even if DJ doesn't win the Tour Championship, say Rom goes nuts again or Rory sneaks up, who cares? DJ's got to be the number one favorite going in to the U.S. Open. He has to be. To... To your point, to compete in two totally different types of events, he's able to get into a playoff where the winning score is four under, and he's also able to shoot 30 under. And Nick, other guys shot well. Let's not gloss over the fact he won that tournament by 11 shots. (laughs) 11 shots he won that tournament by. So DJ is the number one player in the world, even though it sounds silly to say considering what Rom did this weekend. I still think that's a pretty damn big gap between Rom and DJ, despite what we saw today. I agree, and they also kind of snuck in late in the broadcast that DJ was in the final group on Sunday of the PGA Championship. So 
Clearly, he's in some really good form. I consider you the at-the-turn resident U.S. Open expert. I know you've you've been to a couple U.S. Opens, been to some practice rounds. Maybe you played Chambers Bay recently. I'm not sure if that trip happened or not. It did. But um, I can't wait to hear about that. Was this was this tournament kind of U.S. Open prep? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it literally was a U.S. Open venue in 2003 that was won by Jim Furyk. Ironically, that course was set up, Olympia Fields, the course they played today. Ironically, that was the, it's not anymore because Brooks blew it out of the water at Aaron Hills, the lowest total in relation to par. But no one had ever finished double digits under par at a U.S. Open. Jim Furyk did that when he won in 2003. And this course was heavily criticized at that time for being too easy of a setup, which you know, my third eye galaxy brain take on that is they wanted to make the course extra hard to sort of make up for that 17 years later. But yes, to answer your question, this is definitely a U.S. Open setup. It's a, it's literally a U.S. Open venue. Jim Furyk won it. But Nick, something I'm curious about, because we've seen the two polar opposites of PGA Tour events. I mean, you never see a regular tour event where someone wins with this high of a number. And with 30 under, you never see that in a four-round tournament. It's happened, I think, the Bob Hope that probably happened a few times where they had five rounds back in the day. What do you prefer? Do you prefer guys going super low, or do you prefer guys playing closer to old man par? I think closer to old man par, because one of the things that it tests in your game that we might not always see is kind of your mental toughness. Like, if you make a double bogey, and, and nobody's really breaking par, you're still in it. But, like, are you mentally tough enough to realize that that double bogey is is no big deal and everybody's doing it? Or are you going to beat yourself up over it and then compound the mistake, you know, the next hole and the hole after that? So I think it's interesting to see guys shoot even par one over, and then they turn around and they've, they've actually gone up the leaderboard and they're in a better position than they were before. So I, I just think it's more interesting than, like, if you don't birdie this 290-yard par four, you're losing strokes to the field. Like, eh, I, that's exciting, too, in its own way. But I prefer uh, the four-under. Yeah, I do, too. And that's why the U.S. Open is my favorite tournament besides the Masters, just because it's so cool to see these guys make tough putts for bogey and know that they're not out of a tournament. Like, to your point, if you're making bogeys in the Northern Trust last week, that's essentially a double bogey because you're losing so many strokes to par. And John Rahm, we have to talk about his gaffe that he made where on Saturday when he shot the 66, even though he shot four under par, it's a par 70 golf course, he, and I don't know if I've ever done this. I mean, I've I've boozed pretty hard on the golf course before, Nick, and I still don't think I've ever done this. You have? have I, <laughs> believe it or not. I don't think I've ever – so what John Rom did, if you missed it, was he just picked up his ball on the green without marking it. <laughs> and then the video of it is so funny because you see the marshal, like, in his marshal cart, like, drive up behind him like, oh, Rombo, I saw that, baby. That's a penalty. But he did that, and then he, you know, legendary for being fiery on the golf course, Nick. Fiery John Rom, <laughs> able to compose himself, make a bogey even with the penalty, go on, shoot that good round shoot the big round today, 64, 6-under, and win the golf tournament. If that's last week, if that's last week, a bogey takes him out of the tournament, right? Making a bogey was good this week. It was okay. Yeah, no, for sure. So just to go back to that, I I saw it like on Twitter, but I didn't actually see what happened. Is that just, you you pick up your ball, it's one-stroke penalty, you replace it? I I guess that's what you do. I've literally never come across that before. So (laughs) yeah, 
it was it was a one shot penalty. He's you know had to mark it where it was supposed to be, and that was that. I mean, he it's not the kind of thing where oh we don't know if it's a penalty. Like he's like oh, yeah. shit, I picked up my oh, ball. Well, that's the, well, that's illegal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We can we can move on. I just I just wasn't sure. Like I yeah. saw like oh he picked up his ball without marking it. I'm like, what does that even, what even happens? What so just to kind of hit the PGA Tour. Um, Actually, no. I want to hit one other thing on this tournament before we move on. Did you oh, yeah. see what Mackenzie Hughes had to do today? Um, I saw his his like five foot putt. Yeah. On so eighteen. Yeah. They called so, it. They called it. Okay. Before we go too deep into this, they called it the most important putt of his career, and I'm like, really? And I just look. He has won a PGA Tour event. Now I didn't go back to see what the score was. Did he win by like six or did he win by one? I imagine Mackenzie Hughes was not winning by six. Um, but I digress. So the reason why they said that it sounds hyperbolic and maybe it is to a degree, but by making the field in the top 30, like I didn't realize what that meant. So you get exemptions to all four majors. If you make it in the top 30, you are in all four majors next year. And I don't think he was qualified for at least half of them, maybe any of them. So he has a five foot putt. <laughs> to make all four majors. <laughs> Could you imagine having a, I had a, I had a four foot putt to win my match at the border cup in 2015. And I missed the hole. I couldn't imagine. Oh <laughs> I couldn't imagine a putt with that much on the line, but yeah, good on him. Good on the Canadian. That was, that was rad to see. It's always cool when there's something big on the line for like one of those sort of down the leaderboard players, you know, this putt is worth $125,000 or this putt is worth all these starts and they make it. It's fun. It sounded like they were really rooting against Mark Leishman. The, the number of times they kept they kept mentioning that if somebody makes the score, they're going to bump Leishman out. But like, oh, Leishman's still hanging on. Leishman's still in it. I'm like, geez, give the guy a break. It seems nice. Yeah, what are they doing to him? Um, do you have anything else on the BMW? Um, well, I mean, there is a guy who played it not very well. His name is Tiger Woods. Um, he had four rounds over par. He's, he's not going to be um, playing next week at Eastlake, which is good. I mean – if you were to have qualified for next week and then had the U.S. Open the week after that, four weeks in a row um, of quote-unquote important golf, I'm glad he's not playing next week, but I'm not glad to to see him like play so poorly. Yeah, I mean, Tiger will be one of maybe just him and Phil, actually. The last time the U.S. Open was played at Wingfoot was 2006, so not a lot of people in this year's field that played that golf tournament in 2006 tiger will be one of them the other person who was going to be one of them an infamous finish in that 06 us open for one phil mickelson and that was going to be my headline of the pod um i still have a lot of thoughts you may not have paid attention to it because the tournament took place monday through wednesday for some reason who cares phil mickelson wins his champions tour debut nick do you know how many other players have won their champions tour debut it's like four or five, right? Or like a dozen? Phil was it's the 20th. Lot. So this is, a, yeah, this <laughs> is an unprecedented was, territory. It just shows, that. it shows the gap of, like, you see the same guys winning on the Champions Tour and you're like, oh, well, why don't they just compete in the PGA Tour? It's like, well, you see a guy who's on the PGA Tour regularly come in and smoke the field. Not only did he win the event, he shot 61 the first day and tied the 54-hole scoring record. So, Phil... Did not make the tournament this week at the BMW Championship, which is why he played the Champions Tour event. And he won his debut. It's fabulous for the Champions Tour. 
It's great for Phil. Winning is winning. This is going to increase his confidence, and he's going to play. So there's the we're recording this right after the BMW Championship. That's the second of the three FedEx Cup playoff events. The third one, the Tour Championships, coming up. Then they're playing the Safeway Open in Napa. That'll be the, Nick, if you're ready for it, that'll be the start of the 2020-2021 PGA Tour season. So buckle your seatbelts there. I think we're all ready for 2021, so <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. And then after that, he'll be going right to Wingfoot. So, Phil, getting some prep in. Tiger said there's no reason why Phil can't win every single week on the Champions Tour, which is a fabulous quote. Uh, absolutely. Um does this say more? I guess that was you just kind of answered this question. I was going to say, does it say more about Phil or the senior tour? But I think clearly it says more about the senior tour. He he was not playing well at all, and I don't think he just caught lightning in a bottle. I I think that I mean he was he didn't he didn't make the cut in the Northern Trust. He didn't, I didn't think but he was he, close. He did finish second in the FedEx St. Jude, which wasn't that long ago. I mean, it's a month or two ago. He, he had yeah two good results on tour this year and other than that i mean i have it i have it right here 16 starts two top tens and he missed seven cuts yeah i mean that sounds like almost a 50 year old that sounds like a 50 year old golfer to me he made one and a half million dollars in the pga tour this year he made four hundred and fifty thousand dollars this week on the senior tour did he just go right to his bookie and place it on something like he just bet on himself to win the u.s open at like 60 <laughs> to one <laughs> can you imagine that I think it's I think it's fantastic. I'm I'm glad Phil is out there doing it. Um, he set all kinds of records this week. Look, I don't think Phil is going to win the U.S. Open, but I think something like this buoys his chances in doing so. This is nothing but confidence for Phil Mickelson. I think it's great. Now, I I read a pretty interesting article about well, what does this mean for Phil Mickelson? Does that mean he's going to play a bunch of Champions Tour events now? Because he won this? And, you know, I think the short answer is no. I think he's going to be out there. He's going to compete every so often when it fits his schedule. But he's not going to be out there grinding trying to win the Charles Schwab Cup. Like, Phil, I think, is going to use these events to probably experiment. And because the courses and setups are a lot easier on the Champions Tour than the other PGA Tour, I think it allows him to be a little more creative with his shot making. So... It will allow him to beat up on the old guys, which is going to be fun. Bring a big audience to the Champions Tour. So probably, look, increase the purses, the ratings for this event. I think they said it was like the highest rated event since like a Masters post game from 2019 on the Golf Channel. So he's already moving the needle. And it's just, it's just good for golf. It's good for Phil Mickelson winning. I mean, all the highlights that I saw on Twitter was basically Phil driving par fours having aviators, swinging out of his shoes, drinking his branded coffee mug, just doing weird Phil stuff. It's fabulous. Phil winning is good for golf. I don't care what the venue or the tour is. Would Phil Mickelson rather win a senior tour event or make the cut on the number and, and finish no, basically bottom 10 of a PGA Tour event? Oh, he would... I think Phil would rather win a senior event than finish second in a PGA Tour event. Phil wants <laughs> oh Phil Phil wants W's baby. Phil wants W's. I I I would I would take that to the bank. There's Phil is not interested in finishing top tens. The 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 article about kind of what Phil is going to do now that he's in his fifties and he has shown that yeah he's going to go out and win senior tour events when he wants to. 
like, what, does this mean Phil's going to play a reduced schedule? Like, is he going to actually play senior events and only the big name PGA Tour events or venues where he has success? Like, he's going to play Pebble and Tory and places like that. Like, Phil strikes me as the kind of guy, especially at this point in his career, that he's not just going to play to play. Like, if there's a course that he doesn't really like, they're playing on the PGA Tour that week. He's like, well, why don't I just go tee it up with Ernie and Longer and shoot 30 under and hit bombs and drink coffee and post Instagram videos? That's way more fun than finishing 61st and having to play with Joaquin Neiman in the final group. All deference to your boy. I know he played well today. That was just a little shot at him. Yeah, no, no, no worries. I think, I think Phil, yes, the short answer, he <laughs> – Phil wants the trophy. Phil wants the big check. Phil wants the limelight. I don't know. I feel like Tiger will just continually give him shit for tearing up the Champions Tour, and I don't know. I I hope we still see him on the PGA Tour as his primary circuit, and then just whenever he's not qualified or can't make an event, you know, he dips over to the Senior Tour, but I hope he doesn't get too comfortable over there. I want to see him uh, go against the big guys. Yeah, I do too. It's it's just good. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm more excited about the U.S. Open now than I was because of this development, because there's a little Phil wrinkle thrown in there. Um, I, ha- I had something else I wanted to get to, unless you had anything more on Phil. Nope. So I was able to go up and play Chambers Bay. Um, was able to sneak up. What a day it was, Nick. I had to get up at like 6 a.m. in Portland to make a 10.30 tea time in Chambers Bay. So it's about a two it's and a half. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. It's about a two and a half hour drive. Traffic was not bad, fortunately. Got up there about 9.30. Great time with friends I hadn't seen for a long time. So if you're not familiar, Chambers Bay is where Jordan Spieth won the U.S. Open over Dustin Johnson in 2015. It was heavily criticized because the greens were hot trash. I played Chambers probably a couple years after that, and the greens were just a nightmare. I mean, you stood over a two-foot putt, and you felt like you had to get lucky to actually put the ball in the hole. They redid the greens. That's not different than the normal, though. That's that's true. That is true. I do stand over two footers, eighteen <laughs> inches, and just think that there's no way this is going in right now. That's just my game. You know my game. You know it. So they redid the greens, and they're much better. So if you're thinking about playing chambers, you're worried about the greens, just shut up and play. It's really fun. Now it costs two hundred bucks. It's a little more than I'm willing to pay for a golf course. Like it's nice, but also. That's the U.S. Open surcharge, right? You're probably going to pay a buck twenty-five to play that. Usually, because the U.S. Open is there, you're going to pay a little bit more. It was a great day. I didn't mind it. So, mid-August, you think, oh, weather is going to be flawless. It's going to be perfect. Not the case, Nicholas. So, it was humid as hell. It was like 97% humidity, which never happens in the Northwest. You can attest to that. And especially like toward the coast. I mean, we're not even talking inland. Like you're, you're literally on a bay. Like you are by a body of water. Not only that, but it rained half the time, which is fine. It wasn't too bad. But then the wind started blowing. And I kid you not, there was a two and a half, three hole stretch where it poured like an absolute downpour of rain. There's a short par four up the hill that my three buddies, they all drove it. I had a good tee shot that was like 10 feet short. I'm like, oh, this is good. They all drove it. They all drove the green. None of us even made a birdie because by the time we walked to the top of the hill and got to the green, you're talking like Caddyshack, the priest is out there with Bill Murray-type <laughs> weather. Just unbelievable. The next hole 
There's the number one handicap out there, par four, 460. Under the best of circumstances, it's a hard hole. I made a bogey under these conditions, and it was the best hole I played all day. I mean, just fantastic. Now, the reason I bring all this up is to ask you this, because I've played Chambers. I've played Pumpkin Ridge. I got off on the private side. Uh, slightly overrated, to be perfectly honest. I've played Bandit Dunes, Pacific Dunes. Those are, the, those are the nicest courses I've played. I played some of them in pristine conditions. I played Chambers, and I played Pacific Dunes in horrible conditions. Like, not horrible in that it wasn't fun, but horrible in that it was extremely difficult. So, Nick, all this buildup is to ask, would you rather, when you play a famous golf venue, would you rather play it under optimal conditions, the easiest conditions possible as far as the weather is concerned, or do you want the teeth just vicious? Do you want it to be the most difficult golf course possible because you want to play it under the same types of conditions that the fellas, the PGA Tour players would play it? What would your preference be? You 100% know the answer to this question. I want the good conditions. <laughs> I, want, I want the beer drinking weather. I want my experience to be perfect outside of what happens on the golf course. Like, I don't even want to have to worry about if I play great, that's a bonus. If I don't, I'm out here on this world-class golf course that I've seen on TV a million times in perfect weather, drinking beer with my buddies. Why would I want to be out there in the rain, probably shooting 100 and something, and getting my ass kicked when I can have good weather? See, I figured you would say that, and that's fine. I know, and, and I know, and yeah, there's no surprise there. There, there, there is no surprise, and I think I've told the story in the pod before, so I won't get into it too much. But I had the optimal situation when I played down at Bandon Dunes. We played Bandon Dunes in the morning, Pacific Dunes in the afternoon. In the morning, Bandon Dunes was perfect. You're talking 75, not a breath of wind. We have lunch. By the time we got to the second hole of Pacific Dunes, the wind was blowing 40 miles an hour, and it's probably the toughest conditions I've ever played in my life. To me, that was perfect. Get both sides of it in one day. Now, you're talking, you're probably thinking stateside. You're probably thinking Pebble, Augusta, Pine Valley, Pinehurst. What if we were to hop in a plane, go across the pond, hit up Carnoustie, hit up St. Andrews, some of the venues where you expect some of the difficult conditions that is like ingrained in part of the golf course itself. Now, would you want to play Carnoustie with a little bit of rain, a little bit of wind? You're fighting yeah. to get the umbrella open. Yeah, no, I mean... That would be fine. I think that that's just – I don't think there is nice weather at those places. <laughs> I don't think it exists. I think like sucks, bro. I think like 15 to 20-mile-an-hour winds and like overcast and rain half of the time is just like the best weather you could hope for over there. So, yeah, that would be – that would definitely be part of the experience for sure. But like if I can play pebble in like 75-degree weather and sun or like pouring rain, I'm going to take the sun. Speaking of which, now that unless you have anything else on this, but I, I just thought of something now that you said that. So we've talked a bit about the changes in the handicap system. By the way, folks, don't worry. I'm back down to a six. It got I, I was starting to worry. It was the, the, the uptick was getting a little spooky, but we've we've calmed down a little bit. We're back to a six point eight, so we're we're trending in the right direction as we right, plunge you. into the dog days Let's of the golf. Play well at uh, Chambers Bay. Uh, you know. I shot okay. 89, but it was that was tough out there, brother. I felt okay with that. Right. I felt okay with that 89. Um, so there was a wrinkle in the changes of the world handicap system where 
if the conditions were unusual for a given day, there would be an adjustment in the handicap. So like if 20 people went out in that day and out of those 20 people, the majority of them shot a higher round than they usually would for their handicap, then there'd be an adjustment for the day. And that would kind of level the playing field for anybody. I've played three or four rounds in pretty tough conditions, Nick, and I have not gotten the benefit of that yet. Have you? I have not. But I don't. I don't ever expect to get that. Because I don't either. I play 90% of my rounds at this nine-hole course that, like, I'm, I'm sure nobody there actually keeps a handicap. Because basically that adjustment is based on, like you said, the scores that people put in for that day. People who play Hemlock Ridge are not, like, going to record their scores with the USGA immediately following their round. It's, I cannot- it's just 0% chance it's happening. Next time I come out to Connecticut, when me and Lace come out, I'm, I, I cannot wait to play Hemlock Ridge. You, you, you have painted such a clear picture of what this joint looks like in my mind. I, I'm so excited to do it. Did you ever play the old Colfax course? I did. The nine-holer? I did. Similar vibes? Uh, yeah, I played it one time. Um, but yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Hemlock Ridge, I can't wait. That's going to be so much fun. But no, look, the handicap system, I never, well, I like the idea of going out and posting a score that is really good in relation to the weather itself. I don't expect to get that bump, even at really nice courses, Nick. I'm sure there's courses. I'm sure sure it's happening somewhat, and I'm sure after an evaluation period, they may make an adjustment. There's courses where people are playing and posting scores, and they're actually like, abiding by the rules of golf and, and the things that are set forth. But I don't think, uh, I don't, I think that's few and far between. Um, I don't really have much else. This was kind of an emergency pod based on Phil and then the BMW championship kind of got shoehorned in. Do you have other agenda items to get to? I do, Joe, there, there's something I want to talk about. Oh, great. Um, and it's, and it's happening simultaneously on the men's side and the ladies side. And that is this, this whole COVID situation with, um, the Masters, the field being set and locked in in the spring, and now Daniel Berger playing his way. I think he's like number 13 in the world. He's he's not qualified for the Masters. People are saying he needs to be in. They need to change the rules. They need to make an exception, let him in. And then Sofia Popov goes and wins the Women's British Open, and she missed out on her LPGA Tour card by a stroke at Q School, so she's not an LPGA member. And if she were to have been an LPGA member, she would have gotten a five-year LPGA exemption. But she wasn't, so she only gets a two-year status onto the LPGA. Oh, my God. And and people are saying the same thing. This is a disgrace. It's embarrassing. She needs to get that five-year exemption. You'll make it – make change the rules and and get her in. You guys have the power to do this, Um, which I think is a very interesting debate. Now, I'm a little bit jaded because I've worked kind of on the inside of sports for the last 10 plus years. But I'm curious your opinion. Should they be making adjustments for these players who have clearly proven they're good enough to be in these fields or rules are rules? I think that, frankly, they're two different situations. I I, I don't look at them as the same thing. I think the British Open situation is different. She should get a five-year exemption. I I'm honestly surprised that there is a clause that says your exemption is different if you are a present member of the tour rather than if you are not a member of the tour. Like, I I just assume that you win 
the British Open, you get a five-year exemption on the LPGA Tour. Not that if you are a member of the LPGA Tour, you get a five-year exemption. If not, you get a two-year exemption. I really hope they take a look at that because that that seems to be really, really damaging to this young lady's career. I mean, this is a huge win. The Women's British Open is a gigantic event. It used to not be the level of event that it is now. Like, it, 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 it. It wasn't considered a women's major for a long time in the 20th century. And now it has elevated to the point where it is like not as big as the U.S. Open because that's the biggest event they have. But it is in that it's, it's, it's a legitimate major. You win a major, you should get a long ass exemption. I think that's garbage. Now, so she is so she is in all the majors for the next five years. And there's five moves. So she gets 25 majors. She's going to she's going to tee it up, in, which is great. Which is but, great, however, but- not the, however, not the ANA inspiration in 2020. Because that field was also locked in prior to this tournament. Um, because COVID was supposed to happen in the spring. Yeah, I, I think that's wrong. The Now, as far as Augusta is concerned, now, the Masters is nothing if not willing to change their rules very quickly. So I would imagine that they're going to make some sort of exemption for Daniel Berger. If the dude is ranked 13th in the world, like, at a certain point, we got to just look each other in the eyes and say... Does this make sense? I don't care what the rules say. Does it make sense not to have one of the top 15 players in the world not play at our golf tournament? Like, it's so dumb. How could you have a field locked in seven months prior to it actually occurring? That's crazy to me. Well, it's pro- you're, probably, you're probably right. That's probably the, the most sane opinion. I, don't, I, I disagree. The field is set. The field is set. Like you're not taking anybody out. You can't play your way out. You can't play your way. Out. If the if the Masters were to have had, it's the 2020 Masters. That qualification period for that tournament is over. So just because they weren't able to play it when it was supposed to be played, and they made provisions for what we're going to do to play it in November, I don't think you change them based on circumstances. I don't think you say, well, we didn't think. We didn't think anyone was going to have this good of a year, though. So, uh, you know, even though we said all this, we're going to let you in. We're going to change our minds and let you in. Because where do you draw the line? When does that become okay and not okay? Well, I think that it's pretty arrogant of Augusta to assume that people weren't going to improve and also have their status get worse between April and November. This was always going to be a problem. And let's say, for example— Wait, let's, let's just say, for example, that the 2020 Masters occurred in 2021. Now, are you saying because the field for this tournament is locked in, no matter when the next Masters occurs, that is the field for that tournament? Let's say they couldn't have done the Masters until April of 2021. So you're saying the field for early April in 2020 is the same field for early April in 2021. I understand that you need to have rules and regulations in place, and I totally I totally get that. Qualifications are important for these types of events. Also, there's a worldwide pandemic. You can't really be letter of the law with the way things are in the world right now. John Rahm and Dustin Johnson just played a tournament in front of 75 people. Like, we didn't think that was going to be happening eight months ago. It's the world we live in now, and I know Augusta doesn't operate within the confines of the world we live in, but this may be an opportunity for them to try to do that. Well, all the things that he's collecting and garnering right now will 
get him into the 2021 Masters. If the if the tournament would have happened in April as scheduled, nobody would be saying, well, Daniel Berger should have been in that tournament. Yeah, but Daniel Berger has a chance to compete for the Masters Championship right now. He doesn't care about April. There is a Masters tournament happening in a couple of months, and he right now is the 13th ranked player in the world. Daniel Berger is a weirdo golfer, man. That dude is streaky. So he knows that whatever juice he's feeling right now, he's got to capitalize it capitalize on it when he can because it could disappear as quickly as it came okay so what if you're tiger woods you're trying to defend your championship you go into a in the augusta only one guy beats you daniel berger because they made an exception because he didn't meet the qualifications but like they kind of felt like maybe it'd be a good idea to put him in and there was some pressure from social media the twitter people were all up in arms so they let him in and now he goes and takes the masters from from tiger woods you think Tiger Woods is going to complain if someone beats him over seventy-two holes on Augusta I don't National? Think, I don't think Tiger Woods is going to complain, but I think all those players, all those people on Twitter who are saying that Daniel Berger should be in, would then be complaining. So you think there is a argument to be made that Daniel Berger should not be in the Masters because the field was locked down in April, despite the fact that he is one of the best fifteen golfers in the world? Why do we have the most important golf tournaments? if not to have the best players in the world compete at that time. I'm not, I don't disagree with that. The Masters, sh- I, I, w- I wish what they would have done is said, we're going to reset the qualification to September, or the field is locked, nobody can play their way out, but you can play your way in if you meet this criteria. But they didn't do that, and I don't want to see them just reactively say, on a case-by-case basis, we're going to change the rules arbitrarily. Yeah, That's but- what I don't want. And, and to go back to the LPGA thing, Mike Wan, the uh, commissioner of the LPGA, came out and he just put himself a video on Twitter and was like, hey, guys, get a lot of heat for this. Um, changing the rules in the middle of your season is no way to run a league. Uh, we'll certainly look at this in the offseason, and maybe there should be a five-year exempt- exemption for non-tour members, and we'll look at that in the offseason. And apparently that was an issue at last year's Women's British Open as well, where the winner was not an LPGA Tour member, and she only got a two-year exemption. But the thing that resonates the most is changing your rules in the middle of the year is no way to run a sports league. Uh, I would beg to differ because every single sports league has changed the rules in the middle of their year. This year! This very year, they've all changed the rules. The NBA, everyone is in a bubble in Orlando. They restructured how the regular season worked. They had a play-in event for the eight seed because they had a shortened season. Major League Baseball has like 60 games. The NFL, they're not going to change anything because oh, of the NFL and their psychotic. This is, this is this is a very good point. How did the Phoenix Suns do in the bubble? They went 8-0. Okay. Did they make the tournament? They did not. Okay. It is the exact same thing. They set these rules. They said, okay, we're going to com- we're going to continue our season. Here's how we're going to do it. We wrote down all these rules so everybody knows they can follow the same rules. In Phoenix, went 8-0. They didn't do anything wrong. They did nothing wrong. But when it comes time for the tournament, they didn't say, hey, guys, we should really think about putting Phoenix in here too. I understand your point because I advocated for Phoenix to somehow be in because I thought it was ridiculous that they went (laughs) 8-0. Now, the Blazers, the team I cover, was the beneficiary of that, so I'm not too upset. I guess what I would say to that is, Nick, because the Suns were such hot trash for the first five months of the NBA season, even going 8-0, and they knew that that was 
probably not going to be enough because the teams that were way ahead of them did really bad. They did really bad, and they still couldn't take advantage of it. But your point is well taken. If, they, if the NBA was to say in the middle of it, like when the Suns were 6-0, and hey, boy, I think the Suns should have a chance, that would be wrong. But what I'm saying is that you have to – you can't just sit there and say, because we decided this field was locked down in April – this golfer is not allowed to play in the Masters at its most basic premise. A golf tournament, the majors specifically, are supposed to have the best players in the world. And if Daniel Berger does not play in the 2020 Masters, they have failed in figuring out who the best golfer in the world is at that tournament at that time. I agree. But my final take, final point on this is, what I said earlier. I wish they would have set different rules when they did create that criteria. I'm not advocating for them to change the rules right before the tournament. Sure. Um, Nick, we have one more thing to talk about before okay. we go this All episode right. of At the Turn, and that is look, if you watch the BMW Championship, you saw John Rahm hitting shots close to the pin. You saw DJ doing it. Hideki on occasion. That guy is such a weirdo. I could I could talk about him for two hours with a bunch of beers in me, but that's not the time for this. Nick, if you're trying to get the ball closer to the hole, there's one way to do it. It's not better irons. It's not ditch the swing coach. They're not going to help you. They're just going to charge you a bunch of money. An affordable way to get the ball closer to the hole is Precision Pro Range Finders. They've helped my game. I was at an eight. I'm down, I'm down to a six point eight. I was at an eight point one. I'm down to a six point eight. I have no one to thank but Precision Pro for that. Use promo code Turn Ten at checkout. Get how much off is it? Is it two hundred? What what is it? Ten dollars off with code Turn Ten. A steal. They're also offering free shipping on all orders, and as you know, as all of our listeners know, free battery replacement for life on Precision Pro range finders. They're basically. Giving stuff away. I don't know how they're staying in business. I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to call them and see, make sure their business model is okay. PrecisionPro.com. Get Rangefinder Turn 10 at checkout. That does it for me. I'm very excited for the U.S. Open. We'll come back with a preview. Remember, at the turn, we are one for one in identifying major championship winners. We plan to go three for three. We got two more to go, Nick. I'm very excited. I- I cannot wait for our U.S. Open preview. I'm going to have my my nose in the books for that one uh, for the next week to 10 days till we hit the record button on that. I highly recommend you watch the final round of the 2006 U.S. Open because you will watch it and you know Phil Mickelson is going to gag it. But it will still seem impossible that he loses that golf tournament. And the names on that leaderboard... Phil Mickelson is battling Colin Montgomery down the stretch of the U.S. Open. And neither one of them win. That's the best part. Neither Uh, one of them win. Classic. I'll do that. Okay. Can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. U.S. Open preview coming up. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time at The Turn. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.